0: So let's go to 30, John 9, 30, and we'll read through 41. So the man's been healed. He's been going toe-to-toe with the religious leaders. They've been trying to get him to change his story as to who he's been healed by. And so he answers them in verse 30. Why? This is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will... God listens to him. And never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They've had enough of his testimony. And so they respond to him in 34. You were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? And so they cast him out. They excommunicate him from the temple, from religious life. He's out, he's gone, never to return. But, by the way, when Jesus is around, nothing is ever hopeless. Let man do what man wants to do. Jesus is a seeking God. And he will find us in our brokenness, in our rejection, and he will bring healing. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, "'And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him?' And Jesus said to him, "'You have seen him,' or in other words, you are seeing him. It is he who is speaking to you.' And he said, "'Lord, I believe,' and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, "'For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind.'" And some of the Pharisees near him heard these things, and they said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Let's pray. Lord, your truth is what we need more than anything else. In days of great confusion and darkness and and, and just the way that it seems our our world is headed, and our, our culture here in America is headed, we are in desperate need for sight. And not just sight to see, but sight that leads to understanding. And so Lord, help us to arrive at that place today in a deeper way, or maybe even for some of us, for the very first time. Thanks for our time here today. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So according to the Bible, the reality is this, is that there is, according to the, connected to the name of of Jesus, there is good news or there is bad news. Now the good news connected to the name of Jesus is found in this, that those who know Christ in salvation, the good news is, is that in this life we walk with Him, He gives us strength, He gives us direction, He gives us hope, and that eventually when this life is over with, then we will spend eternity with them as we step from this life into the next life forever in heaven. The bad news connected to Jesus' name is connected to those who reject His name. And for those who reject His name, there is a final, ultimate judgment in the end where there is a casting away from the presence of God and any opportunity to come to faith in God because you have to make that decision here. And so we have been walking... For about sixty sermons now, through since John one one and finishing up John nine uh, today, and as we got to John chapter five, there began to be a really deep seated conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders that has not let up. It has continued. It has only intensified, and it will ultimately ultimately end up with him being before them on a Thursday night of Passover where they will condemn him and they will convince Rome that uh, he needs to be dealt with and dealt with with a death blow. Now we know God is using all of this to get Jesus to the cross, but we cannot ignore the reality is that their hard-heartedness was an avenue in which God used to get Christ to the cross. So we will finish up today in John 9 and we will see the continuing nature of their heart toward Jesus. So let me just set this forth and we'll begin to walk through the text today. Our culture, particularly the Western culture and particularly American culture, we want many options to put labels on that we can choose from. But the Bible says there are two options in regard to spiritual life. You are either in the family of God or you are not in the family of God. There aren't other options. You're either in or you're out. You're either born of God or you're not born of Him. We either spiritually see because of salvation or we are dead in our sins and we are separated from Him. So there's not a multiplicity of of options out there in regard to spiritual life. You either know Christ or you do not. And so as we conclude this today, we will see that we must find ourselves fitting within the kingdom of God by having faith and trust in Christ. It has been great, um, uh, those of you who have been here, it's been great walking through John 9. This is my first time ever to teach verse by verse through the book of John. And so I've always kind of taught about and used the the, the man whose sight is restored is an illustration. And I've never walked through John chapter 9. And, and it has been amazing to walk through this chapter. The, the depth that's there, that's just not some narrative story, but the depth that has been there is incredible. And, and we will continue to see that um, today. So let's talk about the spiritual ability to see and what that looks like. And before we begin to get deep into 35 through 41 this morning, I want to set forth for us what John 9 theme has been. And the theme has been this. Is that spiritual blindness is to be seen as a darkness and an ignorance of the knowledge and the truth of Jesus. So if you don't know Christ, who is the light of the world and the hope of the world, then there is no opportunity to see genuinely what He has purposed our lives to be. And so people, therefore live in darkness. They live in ignorance of the truth. And we probably have most likely all been there. If you have somebody that you deeply love, you are in relationship with, and you have been praying for them, longing for them to come to faith, and you have shared with them. And maybe you have shared with them multiple times, and even maybe over the years, you have pleaded with God for their salvation. And at every turn, it seems as if they are not interested and they continue to reject and continue to refuse to come to a place of believing and even able to hear. And the problem is this, is that blind people cannot see. Did you know that? In the spirits of blind, it's the, it's the same way. See, it's not until Christ opens eyes that people are able to see spiritually and genuinely who He is. So Jesus has touched this man's eyes. He has physical sight, but he's now not at a place where he can spiritually see. He has been moving along. And again, as we have studied in these weeks, they have tried, the religious leaders have tried to convince him to tell another story in regard to how his eyesight came to him. And he refuses to do so. He stands toe to toe with the religious leaders. And though he's not a believer yet, he says this, I can just tell you this, though I could, could not see, all I can tell you now is that I can see. And the reason that I can see is the man Jesus put mud on my eyes. He told me to wash, and I washed, and I see. And so no amount of pressure that they put on him convinces him to bring about that change. If you have looked around lately in this place called the United States of America, we have lost our minds literally lost our minds. And the reason is this. The deeper the darkness, the deeper walking away and rejecting of truth results in more darkness and more ignorance to the truth. And we have left that a long time ago. Would you agree? That is why it's critical that what we do On Sunday mornings and what you do when you wake up and read the Bible and what we do when we go to work That we live our faith out in the midst of people So that people can see and know of the hope that is connected to Christ So the Old Testament and the New Testament both of those testaments Speak about darkness and blindness and light and all of these things and I just want to I want to just share a couple of those this morning So that we understand this is the foundation of John 9. It is darkness it is ignorance of the truth because of the re- the uh, of the rejection of Jesus. So listen to some of these from the Old Testament. This is the prophet Isaiah writing before the exile happened, and in 43.8 he says that he says this: "Bring out the people who are blind, and yet they have eyes; those who are deaf, and yet they have ears." In chapter forty four, verse eighteen, Isaiah further writes this: "They know not, nor can they discern." For God has shut their eyes so that they cannot see, and their hearts so that they cannot understand. In His sovereignty, by the way, if you don't like that verse, tough. In His sovereignty, He can harden whom He wants to harden. He can extend mercy on whom He wants to extend mercy. He can do whatever He wants to do. Isaiah 56.10, Isaiah writes a little bit more about Uh, the Jewish people and those who should have been the leaders in the country. In 56.10, he says, His watchmen are blind. They are all without knowledge. You're in a desperate place when your religious leaders and your government leaders have no spiritual sight and have no knowledge of the truth. And I believe in many ways that is why we are at the place we are even in our culture today. So he writes, His watchmen are blind. They are all without knowledge. They are silent dogs who cannot bark, dreaming, lying down, and loving to slumber. Paul, standing before Agrippa in Acts chapter 26, speaks about this reality as we come to a New Testament picture of this darkness, this blindness that permeates the world. Paul says this to Agrippa, To this day I have had the help that comes from God. So I stand here to you testifying to both small and the great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, He would proclaim light to our people but also to the Gentiles. And so Christ came to proclaim light. He, he, he came to be the light so that the world would see who God is. Colossians 1, three, the great hope that rests in our salvation in the work that Christ did. Paul wrote this in Colossians 1.13, that He, Christ, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, which is a kingdom of light. So I just want to share with us for a moment this great reality There is hope in our world today, though things seem to be not getting more hopeful. And the hope is this, is that the cross still has power. The resurrection has power. The Spirit is in God's people calling us to Him that we would walk in His commandments and be a light to the world to show the world the craziness and the misdirection that we are going because of... um, our rejection of Christ. So that is the theme of John chapter 9. It's just the underlying theme. Of all the people who should have been ready for the coming of the Messiah were the religious leaders. The common people, common Jews, should have been ready as well, but the religious leaders should have, they should have been ready. All of the prophecies All the writings of Isaiah about the blind getting sight, the deaf hearing, the dead being raised, the good news being preached, they should have recognized in Jesus he was doing this. But here's the thing, when you have a false system that's grounded in your ways and grounded in man's perspective, you stay in darkness, you don't come to the light. And they should have been ready, they should have seen in Christ, this is the one that we have been waiting for and we must believe in him. So let me set the stage for the rest of our time here. So this man got up as he often did. Um, we know that he is of age. In the Jewish culture, to be of age, you have to be 13. So he's at least 13. We don't know how old he is fully, but he's 13. And his daily life is this, waking up, going to the temple, and begging. Give me money. People coming, religious people coming to the temple. And he spent every day begging, getting money for his existence. Well, one day, Jesus stops. And this is, this is my weird way of thinking, and, um, so just pause with me for a moment. Um, I don't know what your house is like, but my wife doesn't allow dirt in the house. And you've got to do something about it. I, I, I've, I've thought all through this, why is there so much dirt in the temple? that Jesus can make mud, but evidently there's a lot of dirt in the temple for Jesus to make mud. And so he finds this blind man who's been begging. He is begging. He spits in the dirt. He makes mud, and he covers the man's eyes, and he tells the man, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. He goes to the pool of Siloam. He washes, and I don't know what, we don't know what was wrong with his eyes. Let's just say he was born without retinas. Guess what? He has retinas now. And they work. Perfect vision. He comes back and he's got friends who likely beg with him or around and they recognize him. And they're like, "Uh, isn't that the guy that's been, isn't that the guy that, Born blind, well he looks like him and he's like, No, 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 that's me. It's me. I, I I couldn't see and I went and watched and now and now I can see and they're like, Well, how in the world this happen? And he said, Well, this guy made mud and he put it on my eyes. He told me to watch, I watch and I see. And they're like, What do we do with this? And so they take him to the religious leaders. They bring him to the religious leaders, so they ask him, What's going on? And by the way, this is the Sabbath. You can't do good on the Sabbath. Why should you give sight? And so they're they're wrestling and arguing about the goodness of what Christ did, and he's like, Look Um, uh, I couldn't see earlier, and I can see now. And so they're like, okay, um, how do we know? We can't even prove that you're born blind. He's like, he probably was like, well, go go get my parents. So they go get his parents. We don't know how long that took. They get his parents. They bring them back to the temple. They're like, is this your son? Yeah, that's our son. Well, how did he get his sight? We have no idea how he got his sight. Um, But he obviously, I'm just telling you, he was born blind. And so they try to convince the parents to change the story, try to convince the man to tell the story. And the man just says, look, all I can tell you is this is that though I was blind now I see and at the end of this we saw there that he just tells them that if Jesus were not from God then he couldn't do anything at all and they have had enough and and I think it's one of the just shocking realities of a hard heart hard religious heart they excommunicate him from the temple he's cast so he's inside the temple, he can now see, and now the reality is, he is forced out of the temple, and he's outside of it. Never before has he been able to see inside the temple, and, and worship, and, and, and pray, and sing, whatever the case may be. And now he's, he's excommunicated because he's been touched by Jesus. But I have great news today. If you're here today, and you are broken, and you're here today, and you are hurting, and there is something going on, and you have been cast out, Whatever the case may be, by, by a, a job or a person or whatever the case may be, I have great news today. There is a loving, almighty, preexistent, eternal God who seeks out broken people to call them to himself and to love them. And to bring them into the family of God. And so picture this guy standing possibly outside the temple now on the steps. Trying to figure out a couple hours ago I got sight. I was going to be able to get a job. I was going to be able to learn a trade. And now I am excommunicated from the people of God. You see in those days when you were excommunicated in Israel. You couldn't go buy something from anybody that you needed. And it was against the law for somebody to sell to you or to sell to anyone who's been excommunicated. You ever had a day that starts off really, really well and doesn't finish well? I picture the man standing outside the temple just thinking, boy, this was, this was awesome two hours ago. And now I have no place to go. There is no one standing with him outside of the temple. And he must be thinking to himself, where do I go? What do I do? Is there any hope for the future? But I have good news today. There's something present in the room today and it's called grace. And it's God's work. It's God at work on behalf of people who don't get it right. Who don't have it perfect. And will not ever have it perfect. And so God in His grace sent His Son to die. And here in the text, a man who's been cast out by the religious leaders. Hard-hearted people. He's on the outside wondering, where do I go? How do I now navigate? I've got sight. I could have had a great future. But now I don't have that because I've been excommunicated. And the glory is this. Jesus heard about what had been done to him. And I love what it says here. I don't know how long it took. Somebody came and, hey, hey, remember, you know the blind guy you healed? They've kicked him out of the temple. And Jesus, it says, here's this. And watch, try and imagine it. He goes all through the area looking for the man to find him. And when he finds the man, he engages him in a conversation. Listen to this church hard-hearted, false religion that has nothing really ultimately do to do anything with Jesus. It aims to cast people out and to convince people that they are not worth the love of God. And I know I'm going to move from the screen, but this communicates the love of God. God the Father sending His Son on a mission to redeem people like us. And the great hope rests in that reality. And Christ gave some great examples of the seeking heart of God, particularly Luke chapter 15, with a coin and a sheep and a lost son. And here in the text here, he's finding a lost man who's just had his life changed by getting his physical sight, standing outside rejected. By the way, his parents aren't standing with him. His neighbors aren't standing with him. He is standing by himself trying to figure out Where do I go? And the glory of God is that there is a searching heart of the Savior for people who are broken. You see, Jesus is the divine, holy, righteous seeker, and not just seeker, and finder of the lost. Luke 19.10 says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, You see, He's the one who leaves the 99 to go find the one. And so here He is in the temple, Jesus leaving the 99. Probably the disciples tagging along, like, where's He going, where's He going? And He's on a mission to find a man who's been cast out by His people. And ultimately, you cannot be lost, ultimately, When Jesus is seeking you and he's going to find you. And salvation is his great work in our lives. It is not our work. I want to remind us of this this morning. Salvation is about to enter this man's life. And it's coming about because of what Christ is doing. Ephesians 1, 4. Paul writes, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Before he spoke the world into existence, he made a decision about Everybody in the room this morning who has a relationship with him by faith. He had made a decision before we'd even sinned. He had made a decision that we would enter this relationship. Ephesians 2, 1 through 9 talks about that he sought us when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, granting to us saving faith. Hey, Mark, we got a thing right there. Anybody brave enough? Brian Hill. Come on, Brian Hill. He's going to come up here and I will kill him. (laughs) Those of you who are watching online, we we have a wasp in the room, so anyway, all right. Thank you very much. Okay, it's dead. Okay. Okay, right here, I want your attention again, right here, right here. That Mark Verlander, he can do a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, Ephesians 1.6, our salvation is to be to the praise of His glory and grace. And if we had the power to do the choosing to make ourselves come alive, then we could give the credit to ourselves, but we don't have that power. He alone has that power, so our salvation is connected to Him. And as Christ seeks and as He finds, He calls sinners to believe. He calls them to confess and to receive. And about 57 sermons ago, we talked about this verse. But to all who did receive Him, to all who believed in His name, He gave them the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of man or flesh, but born of God. And so Jesus finds a man he's given sight to. He's been cast out. He's not going to be a part of the people of God because he's been excommunicated from that. And Jesus seeks him out. He finds him. And when he finds him, he's got a question for him. And it's a question for everybody in the room this morning. Look at verse 35, the second part. So he finds the man. And he says, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? So, secondly, this, or thirdly, this morning, let's see this. Let's see the call to believe in Jesus. So, Jesus is seeking the man. He finds the man, and he's calling the man. He says, Do you, do you believe in the Son of Man? Have you, do you believe in the Messiah, that he's going to come and he's going to rescue people from their sin? And he's like, Who is he, sir? If you'll show me, I'm ready. I'm on board. I am ready to believe. We are not capable, and I cannot stress this enough this morning. Nobody in the room this morning is capable of giving ourselves spiritual sight. Nobody is. Nobody in the room this morning is capable of giving ourselves physical sight. God does this work. And so this man, if he could have fixed this, he would have done so. But he can't do it. And so Christ comes to him. He reveals himself to him. And he calls the man to believe in Jesus. And this man has this opportunity, this whole world, now to open up to him and to be a part of the family of God in a unique way. I said this several weeks ago, and I'll repeat it again this morning. Faith is only ever as good as the object in which you put your faith. Now, everybody came in the room this morning and You sat down. Nobody picked up your chair and looked at the screws. Is it tight? You just sat down because we, so in moments like that, we exercise faith. And in other things, we exercise all kinds of faith. And the greatest thing that we can do is to have faith in the Son of God. Faith in the Son of Man who came to redeem us. And so he finds the man who's been rejected and he says, Do you believe in the Son of God? of man. In other words, do you believe in who I am and what I can do in your soul? 80 times in the four gospels, Jesus is referred to as the son of man. 12 of them are in John's gospel. Now, according to the Jews, their most common understanding of the Messiah was they referred to the Messiah as the son of God. Jesus preferred another title to himself that he must have felt communicated his role, And that was the role of being called the son of man. So he knew this revealed him uniquely in his day. What does that come from? What does, it, what does it mean son of man? Let me share with you and connect this for us. It comes from Daniel who had a vision in the night. And he saw the son of man coming to the ancient of days who was seated on a throne. Listen to this. This is a description of Jesus. I saw in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came, the son of man came to the ancient of days and was presented before the ancient of days. And to the son of man was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples... All nations, every language, should serve Him. And His dominion is not a kingdom that lasts a thousand years. It lasts for all of eternity. It's an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and His kingdom one that cannot be destroyed. Church, hear this this morning. Though our culture crumbles... Though this kingdom crumbles around us, we are a part of a kingdom that cannot crumble. It cannot be crushed. It cannot be destroyed. So that's why we, by faith we trust in the Son of Man who has been given this dominion over the world. You've got to connect Daniel 7 with Revelation 5. Do you remember Revelation 5? John's guide in Revelation 4 sees this awesome worship in heaven. And then Revelation 5 opens, and the one seated on the throne has a scroll that is the title deed to the earth. And no one in heaven, on the earth, under the earth, was found to be worthy to give this scroll the title deed to the earth to. And John seeing this, and he starts weeping. And an angel comes and says, John, calm down. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he is worthy to take the scroll. And watch, the Son of Man approaches the Ancient of Days seated on the throne and he has given the title deed to the earth. This earth is King Jesus's. Did you hear me? It's not the Republican parties. It's not China's earth. This kingdom has been granted to the Son. It belongs to Him. So we are a part of a kingdom that's not like, we're not of this world like Christ. And so we, we He calls the man, He calls us to believe in Him. So what does that mean? What does it mean to, to believe in Him? It means to trust to stake our lives in the hope of the words and the worth and the nature of Jesus. All through John, Jesus has been encountering people and calling them to believe. Let me remind you of these. With Nicodemus, he said to him, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, believes in him, should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through Him the world might be saved. He encounters a Samaritan woman in John 4.10. Jesus answered her, Woman, if you only knew the gift of God and who it is that's standing with you and is offering to you, you would have asked Him for living water. Not long after this, He meets a, a leader, a Roman leader, whose son is dying. And he finds out that Jesus is about 20 miles away and he walks and finds Jesus. And he says, come back home because I know you can heal my son. And Jesus is like, I'm not going with you, but I'll tell you this, your son's okay. And so the man, trusting father, turns and walks 20 miles back and doesn't bring Jesus with him. He meets some servants the next day and they say, hey, your son's alive and well. And he said, what time was it? And the man recognized it was the very minute that Jesus had told him. In John chapter 8, he encounters a woman caught in the very act of adultery. The religious leaders are around and they've got stones in their hands. And Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she looked around and listened to the words. No one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. I want you to go, and from now on, sin no more. Don't miss this. He didn't tell her, go away and be a moral person. He had called her to repentance, to believe in himself, and in that belief to go and to not live that way anymore, marked by that. And now here in John 9, he tells a man to go wash, his muddy eyes and he will see and he goes and now he meets him outside the temple and he calls him to believe God is after your belief he wants you and I to believe not just in salvation but every moment of the day that we would stake our life in the glory as nature of who Christ is John finishes up and we're going to get there in about three years to chapter 20, we're going to get there. And when we get there, in chapter 20, we're going to read these verses. John 20, verse 30. Now Jesus, John writes, did many other signs. Well, Listen to this. In the presence of the disciples. He did so much stuff in our presence that we saw, but I've only written about these things. Listen to what he says. So He did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are are not written in this book. But these that I've written to you, the Roman leader, Samaritan woman, the, the man who was paralyzed, the blind man, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, listen to that phrase, and that by believing, by trusting, staking our trust, simple trust, by believing, you may have life in his name. It's been 60 sermons, I think it is, since we started John one. Guess what that means? If you've consistently been here, our belief in Jesus should be way greater because the heart of the Gospel of John was written so that we would believe. And so we ought to deeply believe as we finish John 9 today that our God has the power to open a man born blind's eyes and then resurrect his dead spiritual life. That's what our God is capable of. And it should build our faith. And so I love what the man says here. Jesus says, do you believe in the son of man? And he said, who is he? Don't miss the word. Who is he, sir? It's a title of respect. Who is he, sir? I'm I'm ready to believe. Point him out. I'm I'm, man. I'm on board. The day has not ended well so far, but I guess it could it, it could be way better if you show me the Messiah. That's a pretty good way to end the day. So, who is he, sir? And I'll I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm gonna believe. in wonders of wonders, Jesus reveals himself and he invites the man in the moment. And so Jesus said to him, "Um, Sir, you've seen him. You know when I came up and I began to talk to you and you looked at me, you've been seeing the fulfillment of Daniel 7. The Son of Man is in your sight. You're seeing him. It is he who is speaking to you. And I wonder did he raise his eyebrows. You ever raise your eyebrows at a shocking moment. Did he just. Uh, are you. oh, wh- Could he say. Wh- what do you say in that moment. As his mind settles in on what he had grown up learning. The son of man is the Messiah. And he's standing. Twelve inches. One meter. Away. From him. I love the beauty of the invitation of God. One day there was a tax collector. And he's at a booth and he's a, sold himself out to the Roman government taxing the, his own people. And Jesus came by and said to a sold out man, hey, you want to follow me? And he walked away from his tax collector booth. As Jesus is heading to Jerusalem before his crucifixion, he's going through Jericho, and there's another tax collector there. And that tax collector there, he's a wee little man. Have you ever heard about him? He's a wee little man. We always do this, and there's no way Zacchaeus was this tall. He was taller than that, but he was a wee little man. And he saw where Jesus was coming across Jericho, and he ran ahead, and a grown man climbed up a tree. And I love what Luke writes in Luke 19. It says, when Jesus came to the spot, he stopped and he looked up and he said, I want to come to your house today. There's a man lying by a pool near the temple wanting to get in after the angel stirred the water, believing in a silly superstition. And Jesus said, hey, do you want to walk? He's like, I don't have anybody to help me get in. And Jesus is like, no, I'm not talking about that. Um, So why don't you just rise up and walk? And he rose up and he walked. He offered living water to a Samaritan woman. In Luke chapter 7, scandalous of scandalous, listen to this. This may make you uncomfortable, but let it. And then think about it. A prostitute comes in in Luke 7. And she's got something very costly to her. And she breaks it and she anoints his head and anoints his feet. And Jesus doesn't say, stop. Go away. Don't do this. This is in public. Could you have come and asked me first before you came and poured your heart out in the form of this perfume and nard on me? Watch, he lets her do this. And he enjoys her exaltation of him. You see, in the kingdom of God, the prostitutes are invited to come to life, to come alive in the presence and in the life of Christ. So here's this man rejected, standing out here. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Tell me who he is, sir. I'm ready to believe. Well, you're looking at him. I'm Daniel. I'm Daniel's fulfillment of Daniel 7. The one who's speaking to you is the Son of Man. The Son of God. And He invites the man to believe. And I love what happens in 38. Notice He doesn't say, Sir. What does He say in 38? It's a response question, by the way. Lord. He's not Sir anymore. Now He recognize, Okay. You're you're the fulfillment of Daniel 7. You're Lord then. You've been given the title deed to the earth. And so here he is. He says, Lord, I believe. You've revealed. You've told me this is who you are. Jesus enables him. He believes. And look at the beauty of the simplicity of this. And I want you to notice this is just outside the temple. There's hustle and bustle of people coming from the temple. And the man just does this. He must just bow. That's the word here. It means to prostrate. So there on the steps of the temple, there right outside the temple, he just lays himself out before Jesus and he worships. I want you to notice as well, Jesus doesn't say, hey, come, calm down. You're drawing attention. Don't you know that they're mad at you and they're mad at me? Stop it. What does he do? I think he just lets the man linger for as long as the man wants to linger there and to worship. And so he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Christ. You see, true belief Births responding worship, where the heart must engage in God. Now I want to tell a story that's going to date me. You look up at this person up here, and it's a, it's a good-looking, healthy body. And I'm older, and it's a long time ago, and, but I will never forget it. The very first time that I really tasted what it was like to worship and to get worship. So I came to Christ in 1983, my junior year of high school, and before I became a believer, I didn't always make the best decisions. I do have a gutter-to-glory testimony. And I liked rock and roll music, pre-Jesus. And when I came to know Jesus... I didn't like choir music. I still liked rock and roll music. I liked it loud, and I liked the guitars and the drums. And so I kind of didn't know what to do. And so a friend of mine started giving me some Christian music back in the day. And there was one guy that I really listened to. I loved 70s music, big time 70s music. There was a band from the 70s that I really loved called the Atlanta Rhythm Section. And they had a guy in there that had grown up in a Christian family. He had come to Christ. He was deeply musical. His family traveled around the country doing gospel music. And a friend of mine, I'd been a Christian for about five or six months, said, hey, you want to come to this concert? And I'm like, guitars, drums, light show? Yeah, I'm there. So I went. In case you're wondering I'm trying to build this up his name's Mylon Lefevre and he had a band called Broken Heart and um, and I still go back uh, I've got a on my Spotify account I have early faith songs those early songs in my life as a new Christian I listened to it had great impact and so sometimes on my Spotify I go to my my early faith songs and last night I was listening to uh, a mylon lefevre song and i i was i was in that room in waco texas and i'm thinking this is awesome you can you can do this in jesus name this is pretty awesome and then he got to a place where he had written a song in 1983 called more it's now 1984 and he did that and for the first time ever in my life i had been a believer for five or six months with all kinds of people around me, loud, it's like the world just disappeared. And I'd never heard the song before, but right there in that building in Waco, I worshipped. My whole being connected, I didn't have an out-of-body auto experience. I just realized this God was worthy of my life. And so I yielded my heart as I stood there and I worshiped. And the call for us is to be like this man. To never forget that you have been saved from your sins. That you are dead and you are alive. You are blind and you can see. You are deaf and you can hear. And now there's a mind that was confused in the lostness of the world. And now in salvation it understands truth. and understands the glory Of God. And so this man's just worshiping, and Jesus speaks, and we'll just finish with this. And the Pharisees do not like what he says because they know he's talking about them. So look with me in 39 through 41, and we'll finish. So Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Now we've got to ask this question, what is what is this judgment Jesus is talking about here? This is not the end times judgment, the last judgment. He's not referring to that. He's talking about that when He came, there was a judgment that would be pronounced by Him being in the midst of people, speaking the truth, calling people to salvation, is that there would begin to be a judgment, a a separating, recognize that He is the truth and He is the only way of salvation. And for those who, who reject that, there would be a judgment that would begin to fall upon their lives by rejecting Christ. Now, the reason we know this is not the end times judgment is because this is the f- fourth time or the third time. Yeah, he says it four times in John's gospel in regard to that he didn't come initially to pronounce this big judgment, to judge people about heaven and hell, but he came to save people. So listen to this. This is John three seventeen. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. John chapter 5, Jesus said this in verse 45. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who already accuses you, Moses, and on whom you have set your hope. This one in John 9 here, and then in 12, John twelve forty-seven. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. And so his initial first coming was this bringing about of a judgment in regard to making clear what is true and what is not true, and that he was the way of salvation. So his first coming was about bringing salvation. His second coming is going to be about judgment. And it will be about that, and there will be a finality connected to that. And so basically what Jesus is saying there in the midst of the Pharisees, they claimed to be able to see and to know and understand who God is. And Jesus said, you don't have any idea. You can't see. You don't understand. And the reason you don't is because you are rejecting me. And so he says there's a judgment that comes that those who don't see, those who are lost, they will come to see in salvation." And then there are those who claim to say, well, I figured it out myself. I know it all. I can handle it all. I've got it all figured out. God says, no, you're going to have blindness. You will have more blindness because that you're not coming to me for salvation. This was a definite result of his coming. This unique reality is that people who would become blind and ignorant of the path of eternal life. We are where we are today because we have been given in this country great, great revelation. The history of this nation and the founding of this nation and the laws that were connected there and the rich heritage of faith, two great awakenings in our country other great moves of God and significant things, but we have left that behind in many, many ways. And we have bought into a false gospel that dominates our culture today that doesn't have anything to do with the true gospel of Christ. And what results is what we see here. Continued rejection brings about more darkness, more judgment, more separation. More lostness. And we could I suppose we could look at these days and just say, it's hopeless, throw up our hands, and just give up. Maybe we could understand that, but it wouldn't be biblical. But what if these days that we are dealing with and the days that may come that puts more pressure on God's people to take a stand, are exactly what we need. Are we willing to embrace them? Are we willing, as the blind man was, to take our stand, whether the religious establishment or anything else embraces what we believe? You see, Jesus said, listen, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and you have revealed them to little children. Little kids get it, don't they? Just simple faith and trust. We adults are so smart, we complicate it all. It should just be faith and trust. And I tell you, I don't know what the days ahead hold for us, But I do know that what the days ahead need are believers believing in Jesus. Not just for salvation, but for the hope of our lives. I didn't get a chance to do this in the first service. I got a letter that Mark gave me this morning of a kid who grew up in our student ministry here. We've lost touch with him, but he's been in prison for the past three years. I think I've got the right thing. Yeah, I just want to read you a portion of this, because I think it fits. Even though I've been in prison for the past two years, these have been the best 22 months of my life. Because not only have I got 100% sober, But I have fallen in love with Jesus Christ. I struggle every day, and it's not easy, but I'm so glad God softened my heart and opened my eyes. I believe God will never waste pain. He will never waste struggle. And He will never waste loss. And even though I have lost time with family, friends, and freedom, I have gained eternal life with Jesus. A lot of people that come to Jesus while in prison will say they cried out asking God why. Well, I know why I was in prison. I was selfish, lost, and I thought I was okay on my own without God. Well, was I wrong? The Bible said God, the Bible says God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For too long, I was living my life doing things that God didn't plan for me. And my actions caused family fights, resentment, and hate. And today, instead of seeing my prison life as a problem, I see it as a platform to influence lives and inspire others to also talk about the redemption and salvation that knowing Jesus Christ offers. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Isn't that pretty amazing? That's a blind young man who was at our church for a while who Jesus opened his eyes just like the blind man in John 9. See, he's still in that work. Still doing the work of resurrecting dead people and giving them sight. And students that are going to Mission Arlington, we are going to communicate that with people we meet, that there's a God that can change their life. Let's pray.